As it stands today, the United States Armed Forces has withdrawn from Afghanistan. But the story doesn't end there. America's Afghan allies still seek safety and an exit from a country that is now under Taliban control. That's where Anil D'Souza comes in, who with his partners, friends, and colleagues has been working back channels to help coordinate evacuation efforts through groups like Task Force Dunkirk. This is Pick Up The Six Podcast. Anil, great to see you, man. Great to talk to you today. Thanks for having me, Brian. I, I am thrilled to have this conversation because I think it's important that we continue to dialogue about these ongoing efforts. And it was hot and heavy news coverage in the months of August and September, parts of July, related towards the drawdown, the full withdrawal, and what all that looked like. And, and we're not going to talk anything about politics or even policy around any of that. The focus that we've wanted to have here through conversations with our mutual friend, Worth Parker, folks like Zach Martin and Team America, is about the Americans that have stepped up throughout this process to ensure that not only Americans got out, but also importantly, our Afghan allies, who have been such a critical part of this last 20 years for us. So, so I'm just grateful that we're able to, to sit down today and, and to share your perspective on that, because some of it's the same as Worth's, but I think some of it will be unique perspective as well. Yeah, it's been a great um, opportunity to see, you know, we see a lot of tribalism in the U.S. right now. Um, and what I think this experience, it's been it's been sad, right, uh, because it, it comes at the end of 20 years where the United States has not had the outcome it had hoped for. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a little bit of scarring uh, in terms of our reputation, both as a, a nation internally, uh, but also externally. Uh, but I would say that some of the collaboration that's happened from people from all walks of life, uh, certainly our veteran community, but also extending well beyond that, um, probably shows some of the best of America. And so, you know, it's uh, sad circumstances, but also you, 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 you see some hope uh, in who we are as a people. My experience, at least in this, is, is, has helped reveal that to me. So. I, to I totally agree, man. I'm so fortunate to to get to meet guys like you and, and Worth, Zach. I mean, just the 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 dozens of great Americans, heroes we've been able to talk to on this podcast. In fact, just last week, we had um, we had a Vietnam veteran who's a Medal of Honor recipient, um, uh, Harvey Barney Barnum. And man, his story is absolutely incredible, dude. This guy was two weeks in country in Vietnam, ends up in the middle of an incredible firefight. His commander, uh, the radio guy, are both killed in combat. He has to step in and assume command of a bunch of soldiers that don't even know his name because he's been in for two weeks. And we talk a lot about what that experience was like. It, it, it is amazing. Um, but what he talked about at the end was holding his head high, right? And talking to his other Vietnam buddies about holding their heads high about they did what they were tasked to do, right? They succeeded in their mission. Uh, and he says, and his, his quote was, I even tell these young whippersnappers today that are coming back from Afghanistan, maybe feeling like a lot was lost. Uh, his perspective was that might be part of it, but it's to continue to hold your head high and, and push your chest out because, you stepped up and, and did what needed to be done and, and you followed your mission. I think similarly, uh, you know, I'm hoping the message rings out related towards that work, but also just the way we've seen this collaboration, right? With Pineapple, Dunkirk, with the Team America guys, there was a moment of need 
And we were the Americans that ran into the Twin Towers. And I think part of the Afghan withdrawal was we still showed that we can be the Americans that can run into harm's way when we need to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you learn a lot from previous generations. You know, when I was getting in uh, and joining the Marine Corps, uh, we still had, you know, uh, a few um, Vietnam War heroes and uh, that were, you know, in the senior officer and senior mm-hmm. enlisted ranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd run into those guys. And, you know, obviously uh, similar um, backgrounds where they came uh, at the end of a, a war that was not perceived as a successful war, but uh, still incredible acts of heroism um, uh, in serving each other and trying to serve a mission that they believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learn a lot from that. And I think that uh, a lot of our vets today uh, face that same thing. Uh, and so uh, absolutely, uh, I think the points you raise are, are, are the case. Um, not all of us, what was interesting about this is there were some people that were uh, on the ground who just went back in to Kabul uh, and did amazing things. Um, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to compare the people running into the Twin Towers uh, that's a different level, sure, right? Sure. Uh, and I just a deep respect for that. Um, what is comparable is that commitment mm-hmm. to each other, commitment to uh, people who you don't know, um, and willingness to try to, you know, preserve what makes America great or or, or can be when we are at our greatest. And mm-hmm. uh, whether it was folks working from their living room to folks. Uh, who were sitting there in the middle of the airport to folks who were roaming Kabul and trying to get people into safe houses, um, different levels of, of danger and, and sacrifice, but still a, a majorly teamwork uh, and commitment and wanting to support each other and to try to do something that's right. And that's, yeah. that's what makes this country great. And we saw bits of that. And, you know, I, I hope we all can retain a little piece of that mm. um, and, and get that positivity because there's a lot uh, that you see on a day-to-day basis in the country right now with the tribalism that makes it hard. Uh, and this can, can be a good, a good medicinal tonic uh, to that, yeah. uh, this experience, certainly. Yeah. yeah, for, for sure. My man. All right, well, let's get to know you a little bit, that path to the United States Marine Corps. Uh, you end up there in 1991 timeframe, I believe. So how do you, how does Anil D'Souza uh, end yeah, up? Get there. Uh, yeah. yeah, get there. How does he get there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, um, you know, at the time, you, uh, my college did not have a ROTC program because of uh, U.S. policy uh, against gays in the military. People who wanted to do ROTCs had to do it at neighboring universities. Mm-hmm. I came in not even thinking of joining the military. Um, and I, you know, in the middle of college, I got a, a flyer about, flying with the Marines uh, through an OCS program. And uh, I was a track athlete. Um, I had an uncle, my parents were Indian immigrants. I had an uncle who had uh, served as an officer in the Indian army, um, had been a prisoner of war in a very short skirmish um, against China and India, uh, and had fought in two wars against Pakistan. And, you know, he um, was somebody who I really respected a great deal. He was just, his, his military experience, kind of um, shown uh, in terms of how he represented himself in a, in a very positive way for me as I was growing up. Hmm. Um, and so I had a respect for the military. Um, I was a, a decent athlete. I probably thought I was a better athlete than I really was. And, you know, to do an OCS program required either a two summer commitment or one longer summer. Um, and if you 
weren't in a, you know, an Arazi program doing that. Um, you could do it. Um, and if you passed uh, the program, you didn't have to take the commission. Uh, you could actually, you know, have finished Marine Corps OCS successfully, gotten that experience and not take the commission. So I didn't have really a commitment. Hmm. And I decided to, 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 I didn't end up, you know, having the, uh, the, the eyesight and skills to be a pilot, but I, I, I was able to qualify to do the program. It was a tough program for me. Um, I found that the attention, the detail was as hard as uh, the physical components of it. Um, I was, I was very civilian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but I had an incredible respect and pride when I finished it. And when I looked at my life goals, which were at the time to either further um, advance in academics, uh, maybe be a college professor or uh, go do the foreign service exam and, and go in that route. I, I found it could be a pathway that would be consistent with either of those by just taking four years of being a Marine officer. And so that's how I got in. Um, and I did that for four years. Um, and, you know, hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. So what kind of stuff in the Marine Corps were you doing? And 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 yeah. take us back into that time frame, right? So it's 91 to 95 for that four year stretch yeah. where we're on the heels of Desert Storm at that point, and yeah. you've got Somalia experience. So yeah, so so I was I was in I think I was still in OCS when Saddam Hussein invaded Iraq. Uh, so I remember distinctly uh, our platoon sergeant coming in, all motivated the fact that <laughs> there was we're an going to get him. Yeah, we're doing it. Let's go, boys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There had been, I mean, quite frankly, yeah. there had been a bit of a lull in that yeah. type of activity. Yeah, and that war ended before you know I even you know, finished, uh, college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I went in, you know, under the specter of the Gulf war having, having completed, um, I came in with the mindset that I wanted to be infantry and recon and then, um, came under the awareness that I had never learned how to swim. Uh, and, you know, and I <laughs> probably should have thought about that, uh, a little bit ahead of time, but I just kind of convinced myself that I would, be able to learn to swim and sure. fast, swim at a level um, quickly enough to become an infantry officer and uh, and do all those things. And you know, I think um, what I gained out of the Marine Corps was, you know, I'm I'm I had some real good qualities, but uh, a lot of my peers were ten times better athletes mm-hmm. than me. Uh, you can't learn to swim in a six month program while you're doing other stuff. Uh, to the level that you would need to qualify to be an infantry officer. Um, I wasn't going to go sit there and distinguish myself as the most athletic Marine. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I could still really contribute uh, as an officer and as a good leader. Um, and it's certainly if I, if I kept my eyes open, and I, I, I listened and I learned um, and, and observed the skills that I saw in good leadership with a lot of people uh, that I, I I was able to work with in the Marine Corps that I could go do that. And so, you know, I got uh, tested quite early um, uh, with Operation Restore Hope. I was a, I ended up being a combat engineer because that was a combat armed specialty that didn't require uh, the swimming qualification. Um, uh, found that to be a great uh, uh, MOS. Uh, I, I learned a ton uh, and I was able to deploy as a platoon commander in Somalia. Uh, and we had a variety of missions. The biggest one I had was actually building or improving a roadway uh, between Mogadishu and Baidoa. Um, and so uh, my experience was, you know, my, probably the, the number one experience I had that was a deployed experience was Restore Hope. I was there for just under five months. Um, and then I was also uh, on a Marine Expeditionary Unit, MU. 
Uh, and so those were my, my big experiences in the Marine Corps. Um, the, the first one I had command, I had, I had a platoon. It was fun. I got to do everything from civil engineering to combat engineering activities. Um, it, it was, it was a great experience and, and stuff that I was able to pack away, uh, for the rest of my life, which has been much longer than the four years I spent in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Awarded the Navy achievement medal for superior performance during operation restore hope. Uh, and and you're right. You talk about taking those experiences from that time, right? Cause in, in the window of time of life, four years, right. Incredibly valuable, but there's been a lot since that, that point. And that's 1995. We fast forward all the way to 2021 and you're kind of locking shields again with former members of, of that community. So obviously there's a lot that happens, right. Career wise between 95 and, and today, but what, what main beats get us to how you get engaged in this effort this summer with this withdrawal? I mean, the, the, the quick, what happened between then is I, I built a current business um, and, you know, uh, specifically a career in business and healthcare with, with a heavy emphasis on the product side on pharmaceuticals and medical devices. Um, I'm the CEO of a mid-sized company now in pharmaceuticals. And uh, I do, I did have a, a good network of friends who were former Marines of mine and how I got connected actually was uh, a good friend of mine um, who's continued to serve his country uh, since he left the Marine Corps in a variety of, of roles um, you know, we've been chatting, we, we've been, you know, discussing a lot of topics on, on social media, um, around national security, politics, and so forth. And I, I'd started to get a little bit of sour on the experience of social media. And he had mm-hmm. said, Hey, listen, there's actually a group I'd like to invite you to, uh, that has people across the political spectrum, but really has a good set of kind of rules on, on how to have a good dialogue. And, and, uh, I, I got introduced into that forum. And it's that forum that uh, I've started building some new friendships. Well, it was everything that was set to be. It was great. Um, yeah. Nice yeah. to have great discussions on a lot of topics, uh, including national security topics. And that's how I got to meet guys like Worth Parker, um, Fred Doomer, um, uh, Doug Livermore. Uh, and these are all, you know, ended up being folks that were heavily involved in the Afghan evacuation and so how I got involved is that I saw they were doing stuff. I just sent, you know, kind of messages to say anything I can do to help, I'd be happy to. And at the early part of it, Doug, who had been a, a board member and no one left behind, had, you know, indicated that uh, they were looking to increase their fundraising because they were at this point in time, even paying for planes uh, to try to get some of the Afghans out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as part of my business career, I'd gotten involved with a different set of, you know, higher wealth communities, some of them veterans who were in business, who had been raising money for other things in Chicago, which is where I'm at, uh, and then also other communities. And so I kind of just started tapping into my network and connecting some of those folks into uh, Doug and, and, and Worth and Doom, who had started forming a little bit of a staff to try to coordinate efforts um, that they had going. Uh, they'd all individually started getting involved and then they started realizing, Hey, there's a opportunity here to create a little bit of connective tissue with all these groups as we start finding out who they are. Uh, and so it started out as a fundraising role. Uh, honestly, I was like trying to raise money to help. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's uh, put a little wind in the sales here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and eventually, I mean, you know, you, you start working with those guys and, you know, we, you start getting on group calls, you start, you know, having, 
thoughts on other things. And, and, and they were a real open group uh, on, on being able to sit there and problem solve on, on different topics and issues. Uh, and you start, you know, uh, taking on other assignments that can be helpful. And for me, it started, it started, I was on vacation, uh, but it was like a staycation at home. And I explained it to my family and they were like, yeah, this is really important. Go help out. And so mm-hmm. getting on the calls, I started getting involved. And, you know, when we started getting connected with team America and Joe Sabo and that team, uh, that's when I also um, uh, started realizing, okay, there's people now that are finding out that I'm involved with this. And so I'm starting to get requests about how to help families. Uh, and I'm actually involved with this, you know, maybe I can connect this and actually play a role myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I, how I got rolled in. It, it, it started out without really a plan other than, wow, this is really important. Uh, these are people I respect. They served in Afghanistan with these Afghans. Mm-hmm. Um, we're leaving here very quickly and have not done these people the right way, in my view. Uh, how do we actually help, especially during this evacuation, to minimize the the the, the damage um, and and try to save some lives? Uh, and for me, initially it was fundraising, but then it evolved uh, a bit. I, I never got as operationally rolled in as some of these guys, but um, I got pulled in a little bit more than I had expected. Yeah, yeah. We're going to tell a story. Uh, of an ongoing effort um, here in a minute, but can you help paint the picture for me and for our listeners about what the uh, what the Afghan ally who's seeking evacuation? You know what what is that individual? What does that family? What do they kind of look like? Who 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 are these folks that ultimately are, are putting a hand up saying, I, "I need your help. I need help to either get myself out, get my family out." What's that look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, similar to. I mean, Worths was more direct. He actually knew a Marine uh, who had been an Afghan interpreter, had come over and, you know, then, um, uh, you know, become a Marine, actually, after 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 being settled in the U.S. for a number of years. And that individual knew Worth and directly reached out to him. For me, you know, you know, I started getting connected in through friends who, you know, I was posting on, on social media, you know, fundraising for this, mm-hmm. um, for smaller donors of friends. And then they started realizing, okay, he's actually rolled into this, you know, and people knew, uh, nonprofits and families. And so uh, oftentimes, you know, there were different, there, I would say there are different types, right? So there's your interpreter who's gotten over to the United States and has, settled in the country, maybe a citizen or not, knows their family is at risk. And then all of a sudden it's happening faster than they expected the mm. U.S. leaving. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they're desperately saying, OK, now I'm over. But now my family, because they were connected to me, um, they're going to get revenge on 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 me through that. Um, and so there is that right uh, group. I think that there is another group was which is like Afghan special forces, folks who were planning on fighting to the very end um, had been the types that actually rolled up and fought throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, you know, the government was falling apart. Taliban's advancing. The U.S. isn't um, willing or capable to support uh, their efforts. So now they have to get out with their families. They're all on the ground. So they're not even over here. Um, and they don't have a pathway to an SIV visa or any of that stuff. But they have a lot of veterans who are here who work with them that know them uh, and can vouch for them. So that's like another type. And then you've got these other groups who are maybe not directly working with U.S. forces, 
but were nonprofits um, or working in the Afghan government and basically under the security blanket of the U.S. doing things that the Taliban would find completely unacceptable and 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 viewed as collaboration, even though they weren't directly working uh, with the United States. And that was another tier of folks. And and, you know, some of them might have uh, a group in the United States with political power that could be advocating for them as a group, you know, um, but there are others that, you know, may not. And but they're equally at risk. And so you have different types of Afghans having different risks, uh, all needing help and, you know, you know, the veterans and, and, and the nonprofits, maybe without veterans who are supporting Christians in Afghanistan or mm-hmm. something like that, all trying to advocate for ways to get them out both before August 31st and, and, and in some ways continuing. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's share a story about one uh, that falls in line with what you mentioned. And I read this out of Madison this, this week, and it's about an Afghan. His name is Abdul and his name has been changed obviously for safety and security purposes, but the story is hundred percent real. So he has an SIV, which is a special immigrant visa. For those of you who hear that phrase thrown around. And what that means is he was an interpreter to a U.S. Marine during the war in Afghanistan. So served alongside U.S. Marines and was incredibly helpful throughout that process. The main beats of his story are this. He was able to arrive in the U.S. in 2015. He went back to Afghanistan, I believe, in 2016 to marry his wife. In 2018, their son was born. So now he's back in the States. Wife and son are in Afghanistan. In this exact scenario you just outlined, he's working to get them here because of that SIV. All hell breaks loose. Things rapidly sort of escalate. And the reality of it, and something you said that we need to lean in on, that I want people to hear because it shows just how, one, I think gives us perspective for how good we actually have it here in the United States, even when we feel divided. This man served alongside U.S. Marines. He was granted the right to come to our country to build a new life, as he should have been. He's in the process of moving his family over. Taliban comes over. They are going to look for his family to, to enact that revenge on him. That is a harrowing experience. Right. So you get yeah. pulled into this one yeah. specifically. So what's going on with Abdul? And, and yeah, I mean, so once again, this is like a great what's great story is on this one is, is how people are willing to just network to help somebody. Right. And so how I got involved with this one was there is a, a woman who, you know, Megan McDermott, who is a, a law professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I had become friends on social media with um, some of her friends. I, I, I actually, I'd been, I'd been friends with some of her friends um, that she had gone to undergraduate at Harvard with. Um, and then because of that, I met her on social media. And sure. we'd been discussing sure. a lot of different topics uh, over the years. This and is in that forum, me, right? Where you were able to sort of speak. No, so this was an outside forum. This wasn't even in the gotcha. military veteran. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, the forum that actually yeah. worth is, 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 is one of the major uh, facilitators. Which, of. by the way, sounds incredible. Like, show everybody the example as to how we can communicate with each other, even with differing of opinions. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a freaking dogfight all the time. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And so, and, and it's, it's great. And, and it's moderated. And people, when it gets heated, actually apologize. It's like sure, a very sure. different uh, experience, right? Sure, but sure. Uh, it's, it's great to, great to see. It's likely how most of us would communicate with each other if we're in a room and we had to versus you, you, this. There are things that you it. would say to people in social media that you would never say face to face. Right. And Absolutely. so, Absolutely. Uh, you know, trying to get back to those norms is, is a really, really positive thing. And, yeah. and 
you know, something that's yep. uh, increases your belief uh, again in our ability to go do that. Absolutely. But but back to this one, this was outside of that forum. Um, she had seen that I had been posting a bunch of stuff to support No One Left Behind and Team America. Uh, and she sent me a private message saying, hey, listen, I, I there's a nonprofit in Madison um, that is trying to um, assist uh, families. They have clients. And one of them is this SIV, this is, is Abdul. And um, they're running against the walls. You know, I'm trying to help them with some other Marine I know, uh, but we're having a hard time. He has a wife and a young child. Um, uh, the child, I think, was three or four years old. Um, and they're at great risk. And, we, you know, we, we need help because it's very chaotic to get to the airport. And if you get to the airport, you can get through a gate. Uh, it's risky. It's dangerous. Uh, is there anything you can do? And so, you know, and uh, the answer was, I don't know. Uh, let me check. Uh, and so I start, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, it was hard to navigate because there's so many requests. I mean, this felt oftentimes like, you know, kind of a, a, a Sophie's choice um, into Schindler's list type of scenario. Who do you save? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, well, that's a tough spot to be in, man. Yeah, and, and you're on the staff calls and, you know, obviously there's folks who have very clear, you know, bounties on them around Afghan special forces. Uh, people want to get the actual interpreters who are still stuck over there that have SIVs, but haven't been able to uh, depart yet. Um, and so you know, trying to find, you know, something that could manage a family uh, and particularly a a woman and child that don't speak English Mm. um, was, was just me trying to sit there and figure out what were all our operational capabilities of all these people on these calls that I was with. And I, I kind of honed in on, on team America and Joe, they seem to have uh, an operation that was able to scale, Um, you know, worth used to joke with us that, you know, we, we, we have a lot of contacts um, in our age group, but the millennials just seem to have a much more sophisticated operation and we would be better off and just trying to make sure we support and enable well, their ability to leverage technology in front of them to make these things happen. Yeah. They were just, just, they were just really wired into them. It was impressive. And yeah. we, you know, we've, we've really rotated towards kind of that enablement uh, yeah. connected tissue Yep. Uh, That's the same, worth said the same thing. Said the yeah. same thing. Yeah. And so I, I called up Joe and I said, Hey, can you help here? And he, and you know, you know, he's hasn't slept in days, but he's still like, you know what? Um, send me this, this, and this, and I'm going to open kind of an evacuation mm. uh, channel. Yeah. Uh, ca- it's like going. open a case up, right? Like yeah. I'm going so to get a ticket going. It starts him. with that. I, I I'm coordinating, I'm coordinating with, a woman who runs the charity and who's the, who's the case manager for, um, for Abdul, uh, in the charity, Janice Spears, uh, who knew Megan McDermott. Mm-hmm. And we, we finally get this family, the, this, this wife and child, um, connected and team America has, you know, battle captains, um, and they have interpreters who speak Dari, uh, I mean, they were really well set up and, you know, I got to get onto this feed and their ability to communicate almost 24 seven with this woman, uh, with her child, with her, with her brother, trying to help uh, them move. Um, and who had to, who had to get to Kabul. I think she was something like a hundred miles out. Uh, so get to Kabul uh, and then guide them and the ability to go do that and, 
at one point get them through um, kind of like a sewage filled creek that was chest deep while carrying her child um, to get to a checkpoint where we could get someone out of the gate to kind of then escort her in. Um, I was just amazed and I'm on there more following it, um, but realized, yeah, you know what? I mean, just by the accident of one person on Facebook seeing me, like this woman got out, right? And it felt really good, but also reflective of, wow, how many people like didn't get out because they didn't get connected to the right person or somebody who was involved um, with a team like Team America that could make something like that happen. And so you you, you feel a, a great deal of elation, pride, the, you know, Worth's mantra has always been just get one more out, right? And, and so you know that that's, uh, it's a win and you celebrate the win. Um, then you realize like, wow, this is just very complex. Like there's this amazing cooperation and connectivity of people who don't even know each other that are both civilians and veterans mm-hmm. um, saving lives of people who are families of, or actual people who served with the U.S. Uh, over the last 20 years and who are, are going to be good Americans uh, in this yeah. country, uh, the type of people we want to be Americans. Uh, but at the same time, you know, wow, th- this, there's a little bit of, you know, kind of accidental, uh, you know, situational circumstances that decides who gets on that, mm. that kind of arc to get out uh, yeah. and, and who doesn't. And so th- I would say mostly positive, uh, but wow, just a, a realization of, of how, how challenging and what's kind of still left behind there. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know when I say you, I mean the Royal you, you know, how you view it. If it's a God thing, uh, a karma, a universe, if you're a Bob Dylan spiritualist who believes we're all just floating in the wind, I mean, something happens there. Something intercedes in that moment. I know what my belief is in that is that the creator puts his hand in it. Um, but it's just amazing to hear that. You also got to think, man, like I, I, I really hope, and I got to think, there are video crews that have been a part of this because because a, a documentary of of all of this activity at some point and sitting down with the different leaders of your organization and Pineapple and Team America and really showing all that went into this. I mean, you're talking about film moments, right? Like, you know, Hollywood can't script this mother and her four year old traipsing through a sewage pipe. Right. Whatever. Well, I, I, I mean, actually, thing. it was it was sewage water. Right. Creek, but still. But still, man. Really, like, you know, it really yeah. not not yeah. not a, a comfortable or no. You know, it, that's it, what I'm saying. Pretty, I'm trying to mentally get yeah. us to put ourselves in that mother's shoes. Yeah. Of what and, that and, feeling and, and the was courage. Like. Yeah. The courage and heroism to go do that. Right. I mean, yeah. un, unbelievable. All the way through the process of getting there. Yeah. Right. Right. So getting stuck eight people deep in a line at Starbucks ain't that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of perspective in this, man. I guess that's, I'm just kind of focused. I'm kind of fixated on that a little bit, maybe just, you know, personal perspective on all of it and, and just wanting us to lean in on just the incredible amount of courage that it's taken from all these different folks that have been a part of this thing. I think that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, look, my, my parents were immigrants and, that immigrant experience, um, it's a challenge, right? I mean, you know, there, there are various levels of how someone comes over here and some are easier than others in terms of the pathway it sets you up for. 
Uh, but, you know, to come to the United States and and try to be American indicates a desire for something, right? Um, a belief in something um, and creates some some really hungry um, citizens who, who who want to to make a difference. I mean, for me, you know, a part of joining the Marine Corps beyond being a little bit of a challenge junkie is was to to feel like I was contributing to a country that my father you know came to. Right. Mm. When I think of these folks. Right. It's a different level. Like they believed in the American dream in Afghanistan. They were trying to make a difference in their country. Right. Um, and it didn't work out. And I, like I said, I don't want to get political on, uh, on that, but it just didn't work out. Um, now they have a chance to come here. Their, you know, belief in what we are and what we can be maybe higher than we, we give it credit for sometimes. Um, I, I don't want to, to, to diminish the experiences of people who live day to day. It's hard to understand what it's like to be in a different place and what America is, but mm -hmm. man, these folks, if we let them, they can really energize them. So, mm -hmm. you know, my view now is, is the resettlement uh, and making that a successful thing um, is not just good for the folks coming over here, uh, but actually is something that can rejuvenate us if we sit there and we look at it, right. And, and yeah. see like people who are, you know, who are hungry to be Americans and actually believe in, you know, what we can, what we are and what we can be, uh, as opposed to just sitting there and saying, here's all the problems we have, right. It's, it, that's, you need a little bit of that, um, mm -hmm. uh, and mixed in, you know, to your DNA as a country. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for us, you know, I think there's still continued support for evacuating folks who didn't get out. Um, but there's a lot of energy, uh, that we hope continues, on making the resettlement successful for those who come over. Yeah, well said, man. All right, look, you got into this as a fundraiser, so let me give you a platform to 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 spread that message. There's got to be ways that folks can still give, can still help. Yeah. How can yeah. they do that, man? How, so help I, us I, help I would, a little bit. I, I would say that you know there is a number of you know charities uh, at a national level. No one left behind has you know been on the front end of helping. SIV holders, um, special immigrant visas and translators come over um, and the immigration support for that, um, paying for flights for people uh, to come over and then supporting them in resettlement. They've got a great uh, ambassador program where they actually take former translators who get paid uh, part time to actually coordinate social services and wraparound services. Um, uh, for different communities where a lot of Afghans settle in, right? And so that they've got a great architecture and, and I think they're building more capability and looking at ways to possibly expand uh, to other types of folks. Um, and so that's a great charity to give to. Uh, Team America, right, is, a, is another one um, that um, has just done a, done a great job and is looking to go do that end-to-end -end personalized client management of people mm -hmm helping them guide to the best way to get out, right? Uh, it's a little bit more difficult. They have to be more careful right now because going overland versus the evac timeframe, is, is, it's got more risk uh, to people and they wanna be careful with that. But their model is, is to, su to support all the way end to end and making sure that people get into uh, a good situation even when they get back to the US. And they're, they're you know, reinventing themselves for the new circumstances, but they're great. 
I think the last one is just look at local charities. Um, yep. You know, there's, you that. there's, um, you know, I'm, I, I live in Illinois, right? There are 890 Afghans coming to Illinois. Um, most of them are going to be coming to the Chicago area. Uh, we have, you know, local state government starting to talk to a bunch of nonprofits. I'm on the board of a nonprofit called the Indo-American Center uh, that does a lot of positive good for um, new immigrants, immigrants that are kind of on the lower, the lower income scale uh, and helping them climb the ladder from immigration services, literacy, learning about citizenship, um, legal aid, healthcare, uh, how to actually navigate the, the, the social support systems in the Chicago area. There's a bunch of other charities like that in the area, right? Um, every state and city has that, right? Go find ones that are in place that are committed to helping Afghans or Rohingya or people that are coming over here and either volunteer your time uh, or money. Um, that Right now, this is going to become a ground game exercise on resettlement. Um, and so there's really good national charities. Uh, IRC uh, is another one. Um, uh, that's a that's a good one. Um, but I would say if you, you can get down to the local level, you can either you know put in sweat equity uh, or dollars to to make totally. a difference. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned the local because I think that's an important thing. And it might be something that folks just don't know about. Yeah, well, I didn't even realize in this area where I'm at, we've got these resettlement organizations. Yeah. So go help them out. Here's another one that doesn't cost anybody a single dollar. Extend a little bit of grace to your neighbor. Right. So, so picture this scenario, you see someone who doesn't look like you, right. Or is different. Right. And maybe has been a recent immigrant. Imagine this, imagine you're waiting in line and that young woman with her young son, who is just not, but a month ago had to walk through a sewage Creek, whatever to come to safety, to finally get here has been to hell and back to get to America, extend a little grace. Because maybe she's struggling in line or can't understand somebody at the grocery store. We can do all of that today. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little kind of personal story around that. My dad, he was 21 years old when he got on a he he he, he got on a student visa to come to the United States. He actually took a boat boat got him through the Middle East to Europe, and eventually came into New York. Had what in his, had what in his pocket? Nothing. Nothing. Like, barely anything. Had enough money, got, got on a train, got to Chicago, um, and he was able to go to a, an international student center. Um, a week later, there was a, an Irish Catholic family, the Spellman family, uh, who was always looking to help international students. They went to meet a student who didn't show up, and my dad was there. They saw him that he didn't have anybody. They took him home. That family and our family have been lifelong friends since 1961, uh, through generations. Um, my dad was a pallbearer um, at the, along with uh, Mr. Spellman's three other sons. Right, uh, their a member of the family. Kids are friends of mine uh, to this day. We've been to each other's weddings, you know, funerals, whatever. Um, just because of the kindness of one family and, and just giving my dad a place to go uh, uh, where there was a little bit of you know, American warmth, right? Yeah. Um, so when you sit there and when this country does that, um, and if people can go do that to see that, that family that looks different than them, who doesn't have anybody or someone who's at a grocery store and doesn't know where to find something, 
um, uh, just a smile, yeah. um, uh, a, a kind word and an ability to assist. Uh, that's what makes the country great. That's where you, you get uh, that next bit of energy. That's where you find your own energy uh, about what you love about the country. Yeah. It's generation. You could be impacting generational change. Yeah. Right. The, the the pathway of your father on that day when that family extends a warm welcome could have changed his life forever. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a totally different pathway. Right. You're talking about generational change because in the moments of life, you step in, you do the right thing uh, and, and you find opportunity to extend some grace. And, and if more of us, if all of us listening today find little opportunities to extend a little bit of grace, even if we're tired and we're frustrated, we feel all these different things. But you don't know what that other person's been through, right? You don't know what is going on in their world. Extend a little bit, just a little bit every day. That doesn't cost any of us anything. I think that's what's been, has drawn me to many of these stories, right? There is uh, the aspect of watching these incredible special operators go back into the fray and gear up. Guys like Tim Kennedy and all these, right? They're gearing up. They're going back in like, that looks badass. They're doing right. awesome, incredible work, right? And hats off to those guys for having the skill set and the know-how to do it. It's incredibly important. But there's also just this thematic change of what we're seeing happen here that I'm like, we, we got to lean in on that. Let's be more like that. Let's continue to be, let's be that version of America. Because we all can do that yesterday, today, tomorrow. Totally agree. Love it, man. God, I've loved this conversation. We could keep it going, uh, but I've taken up enough of your time. I'm, I'm so grateful that our paths were able to cross and and that, uh, that worth got us introduced. And just, man, I'm just excited for... Uh, where we go in the future. I know there's still challenging times ahead. There's still a lot of families in need, um, but I know that that folks like you and and the Pineapple Task Force, Pineapple Dunkirk, Team America, know that, that it drives on at this point. And, uh, and I think we can we can feel good about that. Well, Brian, thanks for the opportunity and keep on telling these stories. Uh, you're doing, doing great work uh, and telling a really nice piece of our history. So Will do. He's Anil D'Souza. I am Brian Jodas, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.